It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Domestic violence is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner. On today's episode, we have a crucial conversation with Jill Anderson about domestic and sexual violence in relationships. This awful plague negatively impacts the lives of far too many people. Jill is the CEO of CAPSA, which stands for Citizens Against Physical and Sexual Abuse. CAPSA is one of many nonprofit organizations providing services to and empowering individuals and families impacted by domestic violence and sexual assault. In our discussion, we briefly discuss the power and control wheel, which serves as a diagram of tactics that an abusive partner uses to keep their victims in a relationship. We hope you'll make time to become more familiar with this wheel and the various types of tactics and methods people use to exert power and control. We hope this episode is helpful. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection, my friends. I'm Dr. Dave Schramm, USU professor and Family Life Extension Specialist up here at Utah State. And I'm here alongside my fantastic co-host, Dr. Liz Hale, licensed psychologist. We are excited. We're excited about today's topic. Uh, there's so much that we will be diving into, the very important topic that we have today, perhaps one of the most important topics we could discuss on this podcast, and that's the dark sides of couple relationships. You're right, Dave. October is actually National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, so the timing is just right. At Stronger Marriage Connection, we take this particular topic very seriously, and we maintain high regard for our community's domestic violence resources, our advocacy programs, and education. We are so grateful for them. And Dave, as you know, even marriage therapy comes to a complete halt as soon as domestic violence is determined. Marriage therapy is not useful. It's actually even harmful for couples caught in the destructive entanglement of domestic violence. Stronger marriage connection is also not useful. It could even be harmful to couples caught in the destructive entanglement of domestic violence. But the good news is there are exceptional services right here in our very own community and even nationally as well that do offer the right help. Yeah, so we have such a great guest joining us today, Jill Anderson, who's the director of CAPSA, which stands for Citizens Against Physical and Sexual Assault. Jill, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to join you today. We love that you're here, Jill. Can we please start by defining what is domestic violence and is it different from other forms of violence? Yeah, domestic violence is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner. It's also sometimes referred to as intimate partner violence, um, dating abuse. You might also hear it referred to as relationship abuse. Yeah. So what are some of the, the common signs or red flags uh, of an unhealthy relationship? I, I remember as a student and now as a professor, I read quite a bit about the power and control wheel 
And I was just, I was fascinated. I didn't realize so many areas of power and control. Could you go through some of those uh, different types of power and control? Yeah, those patterns of abuse that patterns of behavior that they use to gain power and control um, across a number of different areas, including intimidation, um, isolation, keeping people from family and friends. It almost always includes economic abuse, control over their finances. Um, You know, one example that stood out to me recently was we had a client whose husband would put a rose on her car when she was parked at work. And someone from the outside might see that as friendly or nice, but she knew Mm -hmm. that that meant that he was not happy with her and things were not going to be okay when she got home. And so those are the kinds of, you know, things, behaviors that partner, one partner will do to gain that power and control over another partner. Oh, just makes my stomach hurt, right? Just hearing that something so beautiful can be so, such a powerful reminder of the stuck process of domestic violence that someone can be in. You know, a term that I hear from my clients, I had to look it up initially, Jill, because I'd never heard of gaslighting before. Maybe it's been a year now where I'm hearing it more and more. Will you please tell us, what is gaslighting? Is that a legitimate term? It is a legitimate term. You know, it, it has been around quite a long time. And, and But what it is, is an emotionally abusive form of manipulation that causes someone to kind of question their own feelings, thoughts. Are they sane? Um, it, it really is an attempt to make the victim question their own reality. Um, Oftentimes, abusers can change the narrative around a situation. For example, I remember a woman we were helping who had bruises up and down her arms and her husband, when her husband would grab and shake her and later would say, I didn't touch you that hard. You know, your family has this bruising disease. Um, And even after asking her mom and her mom would say, "I, I don't know what you're talking about. He would say, well, you know, your mom's crazy and your grandma talked about it all the time and grandma had already passed on so she couldn't talk to her. And she just started to really question, am am I, do I really understand what's happening here? Um, and, And the abuser was so confident in the explanation of what was happening to her that she really did wonder if her if she knew what reality was. I, I get that. So gaslighting is really another way of just crazy making, right? It makes somebody it question themselves. That's that's horrendous and yeah. so powerful. Thank you. And, and it seems so uh, intentional. I mean, they, they're they aware yeah. that the person who's doing the gaslighting is very intentional and very aware of trying to say something. I, I didn't say that, or I didn't, I didn't tell you that, or really intentionally, purposefully trying to to intimidate and um, to make them feel like, yeah, they're, they're crazy. They can't trust themselves. Um, can you think of other examples. What about even an economic one, um, Jill? Is there other examples where people, our listeners, can, can really grasp and say, wow, I, I guess I didn't realize that's what, what, what gaslighting is? Yeah, you know, economic abuse it exists in almost every case that we work with in almost every situation. And oftentimes it it comes down to, um, well, if you were better with money, I'm going to give you a very small allowance to go to the grocery store to support our kids with lessons or or whatever it is may be. And if you were better with money, um, if you 
could manage better. We you wouldn't need more additional money. So it's all the way from that to ruining someone's credit, taking credit cards out in their name. Um, we've had survivors come into our transitional housing program. I remember one caseworker saying that the survivor asked her to come help with budgeting. So she went to her house and they sat down and the survivor, she said, okay, where's your bills? Let's get into this and look at it. And the survivor pointed to the corner and there were three months of unopened mail. And what we found out was that she had never had a checking account. She didn't even know how to use the banking system. Um, and she was terrified to open the mail and, and manage the money and pay the bills. And so we really, in those situations, just start where the survivor is and help them build skills moving forward. But that's those are various examples of economic abuse. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Well, for couples who are in the beginning stages of relationship, you know, what are some steps that you recommend they take prior to getting married or even moving in to ensure their relationship is a is, is a healthy one? You know, you mentioned the power and control will, and it really is a great tool. It's been around for a long time, but still so relevant in the relationships that we help with. Um, and just understanding those signs of abusive behavior, what is healthy, um, what isn't healthy, and, you know, you can teach relationship skills, but if one partner is intent to gain power and control over another, sometimes increasing things like communication skills can give the abuser more sophisticated language and tools um, to emotionally control someone. So just like we talked about gaslighting, a well-spoken person um, who's learned communication skills um, can be really good at that type of abusive behavior. So just understanding what those are and then, you know, being very clear about boundaries, expectations prior to entering a relationship, talking about hopes and dreams and expectations, being able to negotiate different aspects of life. Um, for example, you know, young married couples, if you both can't go to school at the same time, negotiating the expectations around maybe one goes first and then the other. And, you know, seeing how the other person responds in these various negotiations or various situations, mm. whether it's interactions with your family and friends, um, responses under stress, you can start to see some of these warning signs um, and and try, I would say, try not to second guess yourself if something doesn't feel right. Um, people can be very charismatic in one um, situation and then those abusive um, red flags can show up in others. So really watching and, and knowing what those are and being um we're getting to know the person and how they respond yeah. to those situations. That is great advice. There really is no substitute for time, is there, Jill, when it comes to really getting to know someone and seeing them in a variety of situations like you're like you're seeing. You know, especially like through the holidays and ah. sometimes those situations are stressful and you're around a lot of other people. You can really start to get to know someone. Um, when you've had that time through different seasons uh, um, of the year. Excellent. And stress really is a tell-all, isn't it? I think for all of us. What about those couples who have been living together for some time and maybe they're, they're listening right now and they're experiencing some of these red flags. They know something's just not right. That's not healthy. What should they do and even not do? 
Yeah, you know, it, it really is important to reach out for help. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, I think we need to destigmatize, you know, reaching out for help and asking for help, even if it's just to talk with someone on our crisis line, take you through specific situations, what options are and resources are available. Um, we are experts in helping people create safety plans in all circumstances. The most dangerous time is in a, an abusive relationship is when the person leaves. And so we want to make sure that you have a, a safety plan in place that, that we've talked through how that might happen safely. Um, and, and we have a lot of different resources we can help. It's also important for people to know that we don't judge or place blame on someone who's experienced abuse. We're not here to tell you what or how to do it. Um, we're here to give you those resources, options, information where you can make your own decisions um, and establish your own form of success. Um, I think it's just important to reach out, talk to someone. Um, you won't be judged. You won't be forced into making decisions. And um, and we can assess your situation and help you assess and decide what what are the next best steps for you. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, that's that's powerful, and and that's what we hope the listeners will that they'll they'll reach out and talk with someone. Now, I'm I'm sure there are many listeners now who are thinking or about you know why why do the people stay or someone that knows someone in this situation why don't they just leave why don't so tell us I mean Jill honestly why do some people stay even if after they visited with you maybe they've reached out for help maybe they even have a plan and then choose choose to stay. Yeah, you know, there's so many dynamics. I think we could probably spend a whole show just talking about that. But um, you, you're you're not going to get into a relationship if you don't love some aspect of this person. And um, and and a lot of times, abusers can be real charismatic um, out in public, even with you. And these warning signs don't show up um, for a period of time. And and now you're in a relationship. Maybe you have children. If you haven't worked in years, how are you going to support your children and your family? Um, you want to be able to put food on the table. There's, there's, is the safety re reason. Survivors do know that if I leave, this could escalate the violence. And my number one priority is keeping my children safe. So I'll live through this and put up with it for me just to keep my children fed and safe. Um, and, Maybe your credit has been ruined, so you have that financial barrier. Um, housing is so expensive now. How how can you afford that? Um, and, and those are all the things that we can help walk them through and address and find resources for. But leaving is not an event for us. Mm -hmm. It really is helping people walk through the process if that's the, the choice that they need to make is leaving that re abusive relationship will help them down that path, that journey, but it really isn't an event, it's a process. But you can yeah. We'll be right back after this brief message. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. 
but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. Another reason people don't leave is they're not aware of all of the services available to address some of the barriers that they face. For example, um, I mentioned housing being a, a challenging barrier. CAPSA does have an emergency shelter, but we also provide transitional housing or long-term housing to help people gain um, employment skills, increase their income, recover credit, um, rebuild their credit, those kinds of things. Everything from court advocacy to help through that system, all the way through clinical therapy um, for themselves and their children to recover from the trauma they've experienced. Again, I think that term survivors is just so spot on. You've met incredible women that you're inspired by and I'm inspired with. Do you mind telling our viewers and our listeners um, a few examples of those women? Or I, I, blah, most of them are women, right, Jill? Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> I'd be a little biased. I'll try to avoid that just because men can also be abused. Tell us a story or two about people that have really stood out to you. Yeah, I remember a survivor that came into shelter and she really, it was almost like there was no light in her eyes when she first came in and just seemed to be, have no hope inside of her. And we started to work with her. Um, she was able to join one of our support groups. And she said when she walked into that support group and could see women from all walks of life, professional women, working class women, um, different cultures, different economic status, that she realized she wasn't alone. And one of the questions that our support group leader asked was, let's talk about dreams. What are your dreams? And she realized just from that one question that she hadn't dreamed in years, that she had lost all hope about her future. And she remembered one time she was driving uh, up by Utah State University. Her husband was yelling at her in the truck and she could see students hiking up the hill to the university. And she said, I remembered that I wanted to be a nurse and I ached for the time that I could go to school. And she remembered this situation and she said, that's my dream. I wanna go back to school, I wanna be a nurse. And it took her um, a couple of years, but we were able to help her get through school. Um, even some of the little things like being in class with a lot of students was triggering for her, traumatizing, being bumped up against. And so helping her through all of those different situations to grow, she finally did graduate. And I remember running into her in a grocery store and I almost didn't recognize her because her whole wow. physical countenance had changed and she was so excited mm. to share with me her story about becoming a nurse and that she was working locally and 
it's it's just inspiring to see um, where survivors can go when we start by believing them, when we support them, and when we can give them the resources they need to succeed. That is thrilling. Her light was so bright, you didn't recognize her, right? It's that true. dimly lit bulb that you saw first come into that support group. Ah, oh, that's exciting. And then I think, Jill, you, were, you also have another thought about someone who has survived the emotional abuse. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, a lot of times offenders will choose to target something that you're particularly proud of. So I remember a survivor who was particularly proud of her cooking skills. Um, and slowly over time in their relationship, the offender would talk about how terrible her cooking was. You can never get this right. And it started out slow with one particular meal, but then over time, um, he, she just, he convinced her that her cooking was terrible and she couldn't do anything right. And she was clumsy in the kitchen and mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things. And that goes back to the gaslighting or the emotional abuse that we've talked about. And she really did lose her reality that, um, she was an incredible cook. Wow. And, and whatever happened with, with her? Do you remember the rest of the story by chance? Yeah. So again, after, you know, um, leaving that relationship, we also had her in our transitional housing program. And she mentioned this to one of our therapists. And so the therapist arranged for her to cook a meal for another support group that we had going on. And all of the survivors in that support group were just raving about her <laughs> cooking and the meal that she was able to oh. provide for them. Um, and so slowly over time, she regained her her sense of self about this passion that she had. Uh, good for her. No, I love these these success stories, um, Jill. It, it just I think it gives hope. It brings hope to those who listeners who saying that could be me. You know, there's help. There's there's hope. There's healing. And I, I just need to take that first step, which can be very uh, scary. And not sure if this is serious enough, but I love that because it gives hope. Those two stories uh, bring, I think, a lot of hope um, yeah. and can start the healing process. So thanks for sharing those. That is inspiring. That is. Tell us, mm -hmm. let, let's talk a little bit about the statistics. Sometimes I, I think that there are some people who maybe have never seen, never been exposed, you know, growing, growing up in a you know, wonderful family and healthy relationships and are just oblivious to, to be honest about mm -hmm. how common this is. Even here in, in good old Utah, I know in May of 2022, uh, Utah statewide needs assessment related to domestic and sexual violence and human trafficking was released. And among other things, the report showed that intimate partner violence affected 18% of adult females and 10% of adult men. And sadly, less than 15% of Utahns who experience intimate partner violence sought help for it. So, and one of the parts of the report, and then I'll get your response here, Jill, that stood out to me was how silence and the culture of Utah continues to create challenges for survivors from victim blaming to shaming to more mental health struggles. So let me ask a couple of questions. First, how do Utah statistics and trends differ from, from national trends? And, and what is the problem in Utah really, what does it look like? What's your assessment? Yeah, so in Utah, one in three it, women will experience abuse in their lifetime and one in seven men. Nationally, the average is one in four women. So Utah does have a higher rate of domestic and sexual violence than the nation. And we've been 
higher for many, many decades. Um, in Utah, we don't talk about it. Um, we place high value on families, which is great, but we also need to emphasize healthy relationships and families. And when they those things are not emphasized and we, we only emphasize commitment that you've talked about, loyalty, um, really working on it, sometimes that's not possible in a relationship um, where abuse is happening and, and one of those partners is intent on gaining that power and control over another individual. And so we do see a higher rate um, in Utah. Close to half of the homicides in our state are domestic violence related. Mm. It is an issue that we need to stay focused on and continue to work on. And CAPSA really is doing a, a brilliant job with that. And even joining forces with law enforcement, you were saying, as we know, the Gabby Petito case, you know, is just still so alive and well in our hearts. We're just ached, ached to see that young woman um, being hurt. And, and what can we learn from that case? You know, I think it's really important for community partners, community-based organizations like CAPSA, along with law enforcement, to really join around the table and figure out ways that we can better respond. I know in Utah, we have um, implemented in many communities what's called the Lethality Assessment Protocol, where law enforcement partners with community-based providers, shelter-based providers like CAPSA, and we implement a tool that connects victims when law enforcement responds to shelters and organizations and services. And I think that's one of the critical things. It means getting around the table, um, analyzing situations like Gabby's to see if we can improve our collective response to this dangerous mm -hmm. and critical um, concern that we have in our communities. It's wonderful to know, isn't it, that her death will not be in vain that we will just do that much better for the next victim of domestic violence. Heart-wrenching, though, isn't it? I think everybody just feels kind of a personal connection to her. Jill, did you notice that? Just the interest in that case. Were you surprised? No, not surprised. You know, and what's heartbreaking is there are so many stories like Gabby's that don't get the public attention, the national attention that hers did. It's... I, I'm grateful that it did get national attention. Sometimes that's what we need to kind of wake us up and work a little bit harder um, to prevent these these deaths from happening, these homicides from happening. Um, but it happens all too often in our communities where so many survivors are killed and they just don't get the same kind of national attention that Gabby did. Um and their names go unmentioned. That is, you're right, very heartbreaking. Yeah. If, yeah. if listeners know someone, Jill, a family member or a friend who seems to be in a damaging relationship, what's your advice? What do we say? What do we not say? Yeah, I. you know, really it is just about start by believing. Um, one of the first people that survivors will go to is often their faith leaders or their family or their friends. And by starting by believing, you can really change the trajectory of that survivor's path to healing. Um, we recently had a survivor come in and she said, on our brochures, it says, we believe you. And she saw that in a doctor's office. 
And she said that's what convinced her to call because no one in her life believed what was happening to her. And to know that she could call us, that we would believe her, that that we could help was what made a difference in her life. I love that. So powerful. Again, such an important topic. You know, can I come back just for a minute on the power of control, Will? I just remember this stuck with me so forcefully. And we'll put this in the show notes and even a little picture of the power and control, Will, because sometimes when we think um, domestic violence, we think that the bruises or the black eyes, which are very real, uh, and, and those are kind of outward signs when we see some of those. What can people do more about the inward? I think that there's um, some intimidation, maybe smashing, you know, someone's favorite object right next to them or punching a hole in the wall, not touching the person, but doing something that is just uh, violent, the yelling, uh, the intimidation in front of the children, the arguing without, there's no bruises or things. And that type of, uh, and even, you know, the glare, the look, I hear things like the look and a person doesn't even have to say a word if they're out in public. And let's say the man looks over and just look, gives her the, the glare yeah. um, and just can send a woman's heart just right through, through the roof. How, how can we pick up on those signs that are less, less physical? You know, I think you describe it beautifully. Oftentimes, I think survivors question whether they should call or get help because I don't have any bruises. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the all of what you just described really is more common in domestic violence situations that can um, I think what's also important to point out can go from that to to extreme violence in a hurry and so watching for those signs knowing that it's often the emotional abuse the the looks the rose on the car that I talked about. Um, the the yelling, screaming, slamming doors, those are all things that they can hide and and keep in the home so that other people don't don't again don't believe that a survivor is in abusive relationship. Yeah. Wow. Is there a point? You know, when is it when should someone reach out for advice, ask for for help? Is it the first, you know, sign is after they get shoved for the very first time, they've never seen this behavior and, you know, they get, they get shoved down or I, I hear, you know, I live in an apartment complex and I hear yelling uh, above me and kind of pushing around. Um, when, when should those of us who, who witness and see it and when should those who are experiencing it uh, reach out for help? You know, the sooner you can reach out for help, the better. What we see is that abuse happens in cycles. There's the build up of violence. Then there's what you do entering into what we call the honeymoon phase where things are nice and friendly and then it escalates again and breaks out in in violence. And again, um, I think it's valuable that you pointed out that it's not always physical abuse with um, bruises. It's important that cycle continues to escalate over time. And so the sooner you can reach out for help and talk with someone, um, the better off. Our hotline is for questions. It's for education. Um, I think people sometimes hesitate to reach out, call for help because we might um, be forceful in in making them make a decision about their situation. But you can just call and ask questions. If you're a concerned friend or family member, call and reach out. We're happy to talk about the situation. Um, Sometimes minimizing behaviors that your partner does, if you're just feeling emotionally or physically unsafe, um, 
that maybe they're engaging in sexual behaviors that make you feel uncomfortable, you're experiencing overwhelming or suicidal feelings, any of that, really just reach out and help and, and talk through the situation with us. And what is that national hotline or what's the hotline you're referring to, please, Jill? I just have our, our local phone number is 435-753-2500. Wonderful. And can listeners go any any place else besides that great number, a hotline? Where, where else can our listeners go who might be concerned about domestic violence, either for themselves or someone else they love and care about? They can always visit our website, www.capsa.org. There are... There is the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. If you're in another area of the state, all of the various resources across the state are on their website. Um, And then, of course, there's the National Network to End Domestic Violence. You can visit their website as well. Excellent. Uh, Thank you. Great, great resources. And we hope that listeners will will take advantage of those, um, Jill. Hey, before we wrap up, we'd like to have a a takeaway of the day. If you could just give one message to to listeners, uh, what would it be? To survivors, it really would be, we believe you, reach out for help, we're here for you. Um, And and to others, really start by believing. It is so critical um, that survivors know that you believe them. It really is what starts their path to healing. Yeah, thanks. Liz, what about you? What's your takeaway of the day? Well, you know, I was thinking that, as we said earlier, marriage therapy is not a great place for people who are stuck in the snares of domestic violence. Stronger marriage connection, not the best place for people stuck in the snares of domestic violence. But the good news is, with experts like Jill and CAPSA, the National Domestic Hotline, there are resources. The biggest mistake someone makes is by not reaching out for help. And that's mine as well, Liz. It really is to, to reach out, ask, talk to someone. And then for those of us who, who see this or witness or maybe just have a little hunch or hear something, if we, we see something, say something, we hear something, say something, uh, we have to be more aware, more vigilant and uh, less blame and shame, less blame and shame. And why don't you just leave? And why? I, I think those questions, um, each one of those are very personal and people have reasons for often stemming from fear as we as we talked about. Um, Jill, thank you so much again for, for coming on. What a, a great and important conversation. I think that this is really foundational again. I've said it before, for everything else that we talk about on, on this show, we have to understand the importance, the seriousness of, of this topic to get help for those who are, who are stuck in the middle of it. Thank you for having me, and thank you for covering such an important topic. That's a well, thank, thanks again, Jill. Our invitation really is to become more aware of intimate partner violence. Learn how to, to first listen with love and then respond rather than react. When someone, someone shares they're experiencing an unhealthy pattern in their relationship, reach out and get to know the resources in your community and never blame or shame a victim or survivor of domestic or sexual violence. And again, we'll add some resources for you in our show notes, places to turn and find out more information. But that's all for now, my friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on this essential episode. We want to emphasize that there are countless resources available to help individuals who experience any type of physical, emotional, or sexual violence. One of these is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. The website is www.thehotline.org. 
and you'll find more resources, including the power and control wheel, and you can even chat live with someone 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Or you can call 1-800-799-SAFE or even text the word START to 88788. If you haven't already, please take a second to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel. Leave a review and share with a friend. You can also follow and message us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what topics you want us to explore or what you loved about today's episode. And don't forget to check out our website, strongermarriage.org, for show notes and great resources from the Utah Marriage Commission for improving your relationship connection. Finally, a big thanks to Utah State University Extension, Rex Polanis, Pearson Wilson, and the Utah Marriage Commission for producing each episode.